for those of you who are visiting, my name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor here. And really thrown off after um, we were blessed today. It's it's not something we Jeff and I love to serve. Uh, we are grateful for the opportunity to serve. And I will I will admit, we we can only do and see the things that we're, we're seeing in our church because of all of the volunteers and all of the other staff that carry so much weight around here. And so um, from everybody across the street loving on our kids right now to the worship team, to my staff who is constantly throughout the week uh, adaptable to everything, just want to say thank you to you. And I am extremely grateful to God for what he's doing in our church right now because there's some exciting stuff going on. So let me just pause for a moment. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place to have your way today. I have kind of a plan, but at the end of it, I submit it to you and pray that you would be the one working through this. I ask, Father, that you would continue to glorify yourself through this church, this body of believers, because it's not about this building. It's about a people who gather together throughout the week, but then scatter into their homes and workplaces and and schools. Get to be the church. Get to be a reflection of your light there. So I pray, Father, that you would have your way today and that you would speak to us. Um, Jesus, in your holy name, amen. Okay. So we spent the last two months in a series that we called Brand New in which we were exploring this brand new movement that Jesus inaugurated. And it was diametrically opposed to all of the other kind of religious expressions throughout the world. Jesus kind of pointed right to the very laws and rules that the kind of spiritual power brokers of his day threw around and used to cajole people into doing what they wanted them to do. And he said, okay, you you guys got the letter of the law, but you've totally missed the heart of it. And then he spent the three years of his public ministry beginning to strip away the religious jargon, strip away the religious junk that got in the way of this beautiful movement. And I'm, I'm excited to tell you today that I get to deliver to you what I would consider to be the single greatest sermon ever given anywhere. And no, I am not narcissistic enough to think it's mine. All right? So I am today uh, going to share with you a sermon that was delivered 2,000 years ago on a hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee. When Jesus and his disciples were walking along, there was this group of people that began to follow him. They they heard about this rabbi who was teaching all around, and and he taught not as the, the normal teachers taught, where they would simply interpret um the word, they would, they would quote the, the Old Testament and then they would quote some rabbi's interpretation. Now, Jesus taught with authority. He basically re, re un, helped them re-understand the things that they had become so familiar with. And so there were people there that had followed him because they'd heard about this rabbi, but he wasn't just teaching. He was backing up his words with miracles, feeding multitudes. And so there were some people in that crowd that day who were there to try to discredit Jesus. There were others that were coming to learn from him. And still others, probably the vast majority of them, were there because they heard that this rabbi had power to heal. And they had needs in their lives they needed healed. And perhaps he would also feed them. So I want you to imagine for a moment what it must have been like to be a part of that crowd 
that day when Jesus walked up onto the hillside. His disciples sat down at his feet and he took a seat on a promontory overlooking these crowds of people. And he began to speak words that started a revolution. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble and the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are you whose hearts are pure, because you will see God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. And blessed are you when people pick on you, mock you, treat you with disdain because you are my follower. Remember that they treated the prophets of old in the same way. And rejoice in spite of the pain. Be glad for it because God is with you. You are the salt of the earth. Now if a salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? I mean, can it be made salty again? Of course not. So it's thrown out and trampled upon. You're the light of the world. Like a city that sits on a hill, it can't be hidden. No one turns on a light and then throws a blanket over it. No. They put it up on a stand so that it can give light to everybody in the room. And in the same way, let your goodness shine so that everybody can see it. And so that they will praise your Father in heaven. Now, don't misunderstand me. I have not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose has been fulfilled. So if you ignore the the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But if anyone who obeys God's law teaches others to do the same thing, they will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Because they follow the letter of the law, but they've totally missed its heart. Let me show you what I mean. You know that saying says that the law says that thou shalt not murder. You know that, right? And you know that if you commit murder, you're going to be judged. But I tell you, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call your brother an idiot, you're in danger of being dragged into court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So if you're on your way to church to worship here, and you realize that your brother has something against you, turn the car around, go back, and be reconciled to them. Then come back to church to worship God. And if you find yourself in a legal dispute, settle the matter as quickly as possible, just between the two of you. Otherwise, they may drag you to court. And if that happens, then the judge will declare you guilty 
You'll be handed over to the bailiff and you won't get out until you've paid the last penny. Here's another one. You've heard that it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, right? But I tell you that if you even look at another person with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. Because it's better to go through life maimed than to go to hell. And if your hand, even your, your, your dominant hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to go through life with one less part of your body than to go to hell. You know, the law says that you can divorce your spouse if you write up a certificate of divorce, if you go through the courts. But I tell you that unless your spouse has been unfaithful to you sexually, then there's no back door to this. And if you were to divorce your spouse, then it causes both her and yourself to become an adulterer. And if anybody marries somebody who has gotten divorced, then they too become an adulterer. A piece of paper can't separate what God has united. You've also heard that your ancestors of old told you you must not break your vows. You have to carry them out if you make a vow to the Lord. But I tell you, don't make vows at all. Don't swear to God. Don't swear on your mother's grave. I mean, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything else beyond that is from the evil one. You've also heard the law that says that punishment must fit the crime or as some like to say, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn and give them the other cheek. If somebody takes you to court and the judge says that you have to give up your shirt, then give them your coat as well. If you see a soldier on the road and he commands you to carry his luggage one mile, then carry it two. Give to those who ask. And don't turn away from those who want to borrow. And ask for those who mistreat you. You know that the law says to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Not everybody loves to talk about that. But I tell you to love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If you do, then you'll be acting like your Father in heaven because He causes His reign to fall on the just and the unjust alike. My point is that if you only love those who love you, what's remarkable about that? Even the pagans out beyond the walls of the church do that. You know, if, if all you do is, you know, you're kind to your friends? What's remarkable about that? Everybody is kind to their friends in return. But you're to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I need to caution you to be careful not to do your good deeds publicly, to be admired by others. Because if you do, you'll lose your reward in heaven. When you give to somebody in need, because there's people all around, are in need, but when you give to them, don't do it like the hypocrites do. Don't go posting it on your Facebook or your Instagram page so everybody will know what a generous person you are. I tell you, if you do that, you've already got your reward. But when you give to someone in need, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in secret, and then your Father in heaven, who sees what you do, he will bless you. But if all you're doing is doing it so that you get credit, then congratulations, you've already received everything you're going to get. And in the same way, when you pray, 
don't do it like the hypocrites do. They love to stand on the street corners. They love to be in the church praying so loudly that everybody can hear. And I'm telling you, they've already got the reward that they were after. People noticed them. But when you pray, go by yourself into a cover, into a closet, into your room, close the door and pray to your father in private. And then your father who sees what you do will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on and on and on. This is what the pagans do. And quite honestly, it's not like you're going to convince God by all your words. He already knows what you need before you say it. So don't be like them. Your father already knows it. Just pray like this. Our Father, who's in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth, here in my home, here in my neighborhood, at my workplace, at my school, just as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need. And forgive us our sins just as we forgive those who sin against us. And protect us from giving into temptation. Because I'm telling you, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive those who sin against you, then your Father won't forgive you either. And when you fast, some of you like to do this, when you fast, don't do it like the hypocrites do. They love to walk along the streets going, oh, I'm so hungry. They like to, to look sallow. They don't wash their hair. They don't wash their clothes so that everybody knows that they're fasting. They got their reward already. But if you fast, if you choose to go without eating, without media or whatever it is that you might happen to fast for, don't let other people know what you're doing. Instead, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father, who is the one who will bless you because it's him that you are trying to bless, not other people. Speaking of rewards, by the way, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth can eat and rust destroys and where thieves can break in and steal. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where the moth and the rust can't get to it and where thieves can't break in and steal. Because wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. You know, your eye is like a lamp to the rest of your body. And, and, and what your eyes gaze upon, that informs what your heart is drawn towards. So if your eye is unhealthy, then the light within you will be darkened and how great that darkness will be. And here's my point. You can't serve two masters. Either you will love the one and hate the other or hate this one and, and, and love the other. You can't serve God and be a slave to money at the same time. That's why I tell you, don't worry about your life, about what you'll eat, what, you, where you, what you'll drink, and what you will wear. Because isn't life more than food? Isn't our body more than clothing? I mean, look at the birds of the, the sky. They don't store away in barns. They don't have bank accounts that they can draw from. And yet your Father in heaven cares for them. He makes sure that they have food to eat in season and out of season. So can you who are so much more valuable to him, possibly at a single moment to your life. Why worry when he knows what you need and he'll provide it? Think about the, the flowers of the field. They don't go to, to 
stores to purchase things. They don't have their own flowers version uh, of, you know, Armani exchange. And yet even King Solomon in all of his splendor was never threaded out like them. Even though they are here for today and gone tomorrow, God cares the flowers of the field. And so if he cares for them that much, imagine how much he cares for you. So don't worry about these things. Saying, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. And your Father in heaven knows you need them already. So instead of spending your time worrying, seek his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things he will take care of for you. So don't worry about tomorrow because each day has enough worries of its own and tomorrow will worry about itself. You know, the same goes for worrying about others though. Don't judge others or you're going to be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging other people will be turned around and used upon you as well. Why worry about the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log sitting in your own eye? I mean, what do you think you're going to pull the speck out of your brother's eye when you've got this log sitting in your own? No, that's ridiculous. First, deal with the log in your own eye. Then you'll be able to see the speck in your brother's eye to help him. So don't worry and, and, and don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls of wisdom to swine because they will turn and trample them and then turn around and devour you as well. Let's go back to prayer for a second. When you pray, don't be quick to give up. Don't say it once and if he doesn't give it to you, you give up because he obviously doesn't care. Even if you don't see the answer right away, keep persevering, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, because if you ask, he will give to you. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. You who are parents, I mean, when your kid asks you for a loaf of bread, do you give them a rock instead? Or or when they ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. And if you who are sinful know how to give good gifts to your children, then imagine how much more your heavenly father will give good gifts to you as well. So when it comes to interacting with others, we can sum all of the law and all of the prophets up in this one thought. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do to them what you would have them do to you. Because this basically sums up all the law and all of the prophets. Now you're here today because you long to enter the kingdom of God where the brokenness of this world no longer holds sway. But I warn you, you can only enter God's kingdom through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is nice and broad and its gate is wide open to anybody who would choose to walk through it. But the gateway to life is very narrow. And it's hard. It is difficult. Because only a few people ever find it. Only a few people are willing to submit their control over life and follow me. And I want you to be aware that there will be false prophets who come looking like harmless sheep. But inside they're really ferocious wolves. And they're looking to tear you apart. And you can identify them by their fruit by the way that they act. 
because you don't pick grapes from thorn bushes. You don't pick apples from poison ivy. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a good tree produce bad fruit. And so you will know a prophet. You will know a person by the fruit of their lives. And this is my point. Just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. That goes for you as well. Because I've got to warn you. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, on the day of judgment will be saved. Not all of them will enter heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. On judgment day, many will say, but Lord, don't you see all the things we did for you? We, we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons and we healed people in your name. And I'll tell them, I never knew you. you, you I was never your Lord. All you did was use my name to make yourself look good. So you have no part with me. Anyone who listens to my teaching and actually puts it into action is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. And when the rains come and the torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it will not fall because it is founded upon bedrock. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into action is like a foolish person who builds his house upon the sand. And when those same rains come, when the floodwaters rise, when the winds blow, their house will come crashing down and how great their sorrow will be. He who has ears, let him hear. So there you go. The most impactful sermon ever delivered. And the people who were sitting in Jesus' presence that day were astounded at the, the authority with which he spoke because he opened up the scriptures in ways that they had never heard. These laws that they had heard time and time again that were all about rules and doing the right thing and not stepping over the line. And it was fear-based. He said, no, 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 that's not what this is about. And he completely changed their perspective. And in the same way, today, some 2,000 years later, these words still speak powerfully into our lives, still challenge us to live differently than the world around us lives. I would imagine that for most of us in here, that was a little bit like drinking from a fire hose, right? It's just like, big point, big point, big point, big point, over and over and over again. My guess is that what is recorded there are probably not verbatim every single word he said because how could they possibly fit that entire message into three chapters of Scripture? But what we got is the condensed core of Jesus' heart. This is the revolutionary perspective, a kingdom that is not of this world, but is within this world and can radically transform our world. And so today we got a chance to hear it in its entirety. But over the next two months, we're going to unpack it slowly. We'll take a, a small section every single week and dive into it and really try to understand how did, what does this mean for us and how does this transform the way that we treat the people around us? How does this change the way that we go to work or go to school? 
So that's, what, that's where we're headed for the next couple of months. This will lead us all the way up to Christmas, into the new year. Now, um, response-wise, one, one of my teaching values, whenever I get up to teach, is I always want to ask, well, so what? We hear these things, so how do we respond to this? Now, there may be something that I, I shared with you this morning that really resonates for you. I said, man, I needed to hear that this morning. Or, Ooh, that one hurt. You, all, you always know which ones you need to hear because it's the one you didn't want to hear, and it, he's kind of like, okay, move on. That's the one you probably need to lean into a little bit. So if one of your responses this week may simply be, God, what do you want to say to me today? Which of these things do I need to pay attention to? But collectively, as the gathered body of Christ, as the church that we call a lighthouse, um, as we're gathered here today, I, we thought that it would probably be the most fitting response for us who say we want to walk the narrow road. We want to be with you, Jesus. We want you to be the Lord of our lives. And so we declare you to be our king. Have your way with us. If, if that's the case, then today what we wanted to do is we wanted to respond in a tangible way. Last week, you got to see eight people who responded to their decision to follow Jesus through public baptism. That was so fun. One of the things you didn't get to see, <clears throat> I'm very excited about, is the fact that each of those eight people, before they got baptized, signed their name on the inside of the stairwell going into the baptistry. It's going to become a running tally of the people who have said, yes, I'm in. And I understand that there are some of you in here. Merv, I know that you got baptized here quite a few years ago. And others in here who have been baptized. And I want you to be able to be a part of that as well. So at some point, it doesn't have to be today, but at some point I would love to invite you to come back through this stage and up this stairwell and sign your name on the wall. If you can remember what year it was, great. But we just want to, to remember. We want to build an altar of remembrance. I also want to let you know, I know that some people were a little concerned because um, there was a tapestry that was on the back of that wall. We did not paint over it. We removed it from the wall carefully. It is all in one piece. And what we are so excited to do is that we are going to take that tapestry along with many of the other things that are part of our history, some of the signs that are going to be replaced here this week. And we're going to bring them into this room that has formerly been known as the green room. It will now be known as the room of remembrance. And we're going to stage them in there as a place that you can go to celebrate God's faithfulness to this place for the last 70 years as we then look forward to what he's got in store for us. And so that's something that's going to happen this week as we're going to begin putting those things in there. And over time, we will get to add to that as a celebration of God's faithfulness to us. But this is the original celebration of God's faithfulness. Today we're going to take communion because it acts much like baptism. It is a tangible, symbolic reminder of God's faithfulness. And like baptism, we're not saved by taking communion, but like baptism, Jesus, our Lord, 
encouraged us to do this. He said, this is my body, which I'm giving for you. This is my blood, which will be shed on the cross to cover you. Every time you take this bread and every time you drink this juice, you tangibly remind yourself of my faithfulness to you. You tangibly remind yourself that the foundation of your relationship with me is not good works, is not your ability to live out even the Sermon on the Mount perfectly because none of us can. The foundation for all of us is grace from first to last. The foundation of our faith is a cross and more specifically, a man who was from God, who took on flesh, spent 30 some odd years walking amongst us, living differently, challenging people, and then he submitted himself to the most gruesome, horrific way to die that that a kingdom, Rome, that was notorious for their ability to torture people could come up with. And yet he willingly did that, saying, I will be the sacrificial lamb so that you, who were created in my Father's image, whom he loves deeply, can be reconciled to your Father in heaven. So I would like, um, Flippers, can you and, and Terry come up here? Rich and Joyce. You guys come up here. John and Liz, you back there? You guys head back there. John's not here. Dag nabbit. Go for it. Yeah? We are going to, um, we're going to take communion. And so I'm going to invite you, if you consider Jesus Christ to be your Savior and your Lord, and today you just want to be reminded of the gift that he's given you, as the band comes forward, they're going to play. And we're going to take the communion elements. But because we recognize that we're a community gathering together, celebrating his goodness, we're going to hold off on actually taking these elements until we've had the opportunity to all have it and then we'll take it together. All right? So, Father, I thank you for loving us. Jesus, I thank you for your willingness to come to earth, walk amongst us, speak words that challenged the status quo, reminded us of what it means to actually follow you and to live as ambassadors of hope in a world that seems pretty bleak. And now we want to to, uh, come and take these elements to remind ourselves of your faithfulness for us. So thank you for this, and I thank you for your family. I thank you that we get to be part of this family.